places right now, but I'm grateful to be here. Um, you know what? I'm glad that we get to call this place home. Come on, did you hear that? I said, I'm glad we get to call this church home. Come on, I grew up in church. Man, you did good if you could just stay awake in the meetings. <laughs> That's one problem we do not have here. Uh, before I go any further, man, I just want to take a moment. I know my mother-in-law's not here. My father-in-law's not here. Um, but we have... Uh, don't, we don't just have good pastors. We just don't have uh, good communicators. I want to say this. We have what I believe are father and mothers to us. And they do more than just communicate. They lead us ferociously. <laughs> they lead us uh, clearly. And I just want to take a moment, if you guys will, not only do we like to do this in their presence, I want to do this in their absence. Would you stand to your feet with me and let's honor, come on, the father and mother that God has sent us. That's Bishop and Pastor Kathy Miller. I'm sure Pastor Kathy's probably watching right now. PK, we love you. Bishop will get a chance to see this as well, but we just have amazing leaders and we're so honored to be a part of what God's doing right here at the Gate Church in Oklahoma City. And we have an amazing team. Man, I tell you what, uh, you can't never come to the Gate Church and say, I didn't get fed. The last few weeks, we've just uh, been in a series called Christianity Light, and I'm going to pick up on that today, but I trust that Holy Spirit will speak to you in a way that only He can. I, I don't have a really good sermon prepared, but I do believe I have a Word of God uh, in my heart for you. If you have a listening ear today, I believe you'll hear something, and really, I'm going to share some stories with you a little bit that I trust. Once again, if you have a listening ear Holy Spirit will speak to you. Sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that service is only good when the organ's pumping and people are running. And I'm not saying we won't do that today. If that's you, man, knock yourself out. I might do a cartwheel with you, but I am saying have a listening ear today. Are you ready? The book of Jude. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And then we'll skip to verse 20 and then verse 24. Book of Jude, verse 1 through 3, verse 20. And then we'll skip to verse 24. Thank you, Lord. This would actually really be Judah is the way his name is actually pronounced. But here we go. Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ may mercy peace and love be multiplied to you beloved although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation I want you to hear Jude's heart he said I was eager to write to you about our common salvation the thing we have in common is salvation with all fellow believers. He said it was almost right here as if he got a check in his heart from the Holy Spirit that said, I don't want you to write about that. You, it was a good idea for you, Jude, to do it, but I want you to write about this. He says, I found it more necessary to write appealing to you, watch this, telling you to contend for the faith. Everybody say fight for the faith. Say contend for the faith. He says, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
And really verses 3 through 19, if you ever want to take some time and read it, Jude basically tells you what happens when the faith, because of false teachers and bad information, what God does to those people who introduces that information. <laughs> you won't want to be one of those people. Let's look down at verse number 20. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How, Jude? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Watch this. Keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads us to eternal life. Verse number 24. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And he's able to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Papa, I just pray over the next few moments. that your word will be true and faithful as it always is to speak to our hearts. I ask you for a spirit of wisdom, Papa, and revelation. Let us hear you today. Let the seed be sown so that transformation can come. And we're grateful to be in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a, a thought that I want to share with you today, and I want you to, if you're taking notes, just to write this down. This will be the topic of our talk today. It's a funny word. It's a word that came across my phone October 10th of last year. I, have, I use an app called dictionary.com, and they send me a word of the day, and that word was re, R-E, wild. Re, wild. And I want to talk to you about this today, rewilding our faith. Rewilding our faith. Rewilding our faith. I'm going to give you a quick definition um, of what this word means. Here's what the, the dictionary says rewilding means. I had never heard of this term. It means to introduce animals or plants to their original habitat or to a habitat similar to their natural one. One more time, to introduce animals or plants to their original habitat or to a habitat similar to their natural one. Rewild, the secondary definition was to reverse the process of domestication in animals, causing them to return to a more wild state. To reverse the process of domestication in animals, causing them to return to a more wild state. The most repeated statement of Jesus in the scriptures is this. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Teaching us that it is quite possible to have ears and yet not hear. There are places you can only get in the kingdom through hungry hearts which means there are some places you can't get to by the avenue of your mind. God is not against understanding. He gave it to us. He's not against knowledge. He gave it to us. He just that, that, doesn't want that to be the thing that we boast in, not thinking that it's through our own wisdom, it's through our own knowledge, it's through our own understanding that we get to certain places with him. I'm finding out there are places you get in God that only your heart can get you that your head can't. This is why when Jesus called the 12 disciples, 
He didn't go down to the Galilee seminary and say, let me get your smartest preachers you got. But he, he took 12 rusty, dusty men that he saw potential for hungry hearts within them and said, I'm going to use your life. And I'm telling you, I want you to hear me today that I believe that through the avenue of hunger, we're going to hear something today. Are you ready? Imagine you found yourself stranded on an island. You woke up, you didn't know how you got there. You didn't even know your own name. You woke up, there was a treasure chest sitting in front of you. And you immediately get up and you go to the treasure chest. And you open the treasure chest. And there is in this treasure chest a, 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 a box that you open up this box that was in the treasure chest. And in this treasure chest are these really small New Testaments. You don't even really know what they are. But you open this book up and you begin to read this book. And before long, your heart becomes strangely warmed. And you learn about this God by the name of Yahweh that so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would simply believe in him would never have to perish, but they could have everlasting life. And then you go on to find out about this man whose name was Yeshua. It's where we get the name Joshua, Yahshua. We, we call him Jesus. You find out that this man named Jesus, who was God's son, gave sight to the blind. You find out that he raised the dead. You found out that he multiplied fish and bread. You found out that he did things like walking on water. And ultimately, he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He made this statement in John chapter 15. He says, no greater love has a man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And as you read this little pocket testament, your heart becomes strangely warm and you find yourself saying, I don't know you. You're an invisible God, but I want to know you. And through prayer and through surrender, you give your life to him. And you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the gospels. The word gospel literally means good news. See, it takes church to complicate the gospel, and we've done a pretty good job. How can you complicate the word gospel, good news? Good news to a blind man is that you can see. Good news to a bound man is that you can be set free. Good news to a lame man is that you can It takes the church to complicate the gospel, and we've done a very good job. This man who came preaching good news revealed himself to this gentleman on this stranded island. And in the bottom of the box, he found a note that said, I will be returning within a year, the person that dropped the treasure chest off, and I'm going to take you back to my country, and we're going to share the gospel with people. After one year of reading, ingesting, praying, learning about fasting, crying out to God, learning the voice of God through the wind blowing, his boat comes after around about a year. And the gentleman tells him, I'm taking you back to my country and we are going to share the gospel the way this book said it should be shared. And you yourself, if you were this man, you would be ready based off the very fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you, that all of heaven is backing you. You would be ready to share the gospel according to the Bible. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever read the Bible and thought to yourself, just go with the new covenant only? My life mirrors nothing in that book. Outside of church attendance, tithing, 
generosity, and a little morality, all of which the Kiwanis Club can do. Where is this real supernatural people that are called to be the Ecclesia? If you're only, help us to do this, if you're only definition and reference point for what we were supposed to be like actually came from this book. Are you okay with how your life is right now? And are you okay with living this way? I want to ask you something. Have we bought into a version of Christianity that no longer mirrors the one we read about? See, a social media type faith has crept into the church. See, on social media, I don't even got to know Pastor David. I don't even got to like Pastor David. I can dislike him, like his post, give him a thumb up, say, wow, that was very moving, and never read it anymore and never be moved by it. And that same kind of click, I like that faith, has come into the church where we say, I like that, Pastor. That was very good. And by the time lunch is over, we don't even remember nothing that we heard. But the singing was good, brother. You blessed me with your three points, Pastor. Can you stir my heart again? See you next week. You better give me something fresh. I told myself I was going to be very, very nice today. And so this liking mindset has crept into the church where we like the post and we like the sermon and we like the church. And because your children's church ministry is better and your worship team's better and your stage is better and your services are a little bit shorter, I'm going to leave the church that I used to call home unplugged and I'm going to go to your church and I'm going to call that home too. And if you do something wrong or you start doing something I don't like, I'll unplug from you and I'll go to the next church. But that don't happen in Oklahoma City, does it? But I found out that liking Jesus and being like Jesus are two different things. And the Bible does not instruct us to simply like Jesus. The goal of God, according to Romans 8, 29, is that we actually become like Jesus. And our culture is not going to be attracted to us simply because we like Jesus. The culture will be attracted to us and transformed by us if we become like Jesus. We're suffering from what I call cosmetic Christianity. It is a multi-billion dollar industry in our country alone. Because I don't want people to see my acne. I'm going to cover this stuff up. Makeup. My wife one time, she said, I want to go buy some makeup. I was newly married. I got you, girl. You ever heard of Sephora? No, ma'am, but I'm going with you. Go up in this place. I said, what you want? I got this. I, done been, I, I, I mean, I went with my mom. Man, makeup ain't too expensive, but see, I went to Walmart to get it. That's how the Lumbee Indians roll. No, my wife, we went to the mall where when you went in the store, they had a fragrance in the air. And I was like, oh, my God. I'll be back. I'm just walk around just smelling a little bit. She said, I, I want to buy some makeup, too, but I also want to get some brushes. I was like, brushes for what? She's like, for my face. Girl, you don't need no brushes for your face. You fine. What you? No, I need some brushes for my face. I said, okay, well, get, get a couple of those. She went and brought me one back. It was like 50 bucks. And I was like, um, 
what are you doing with this? I didn't, I didn't come here to buy an organ off the black market. I just came to buy some makeup and a brush. She wanted to get like five. She said, well, you need like five of them. No, you don't need. You want five of them. Listen, I am a painter. I said, I can go to Home Depot right now and buy you a pack of four paintbrushes for $15.99. I have painted, listen, I have painted 6,000 square foot houses with these paintbrushes and you can't paint your 12-inch face? Come on now. $50 for a paintbrush? A makeup brush? I'm going, mondo rosti bon toro bon to. No, not going to happen. Cosmetic Christianity. The only thing about cosmetics is it does nothing to change your heart. And it changes how Pastor Jay can see me. It changes how Pastor Cece can see me. But it doesn't do anything to change my heart. And see, cosmetic Christianity is telling the heavens this. God, we want a, watch this, a spiritual facelift. I want you to change how people see me. But I feel in my heart this morning the heavens are roaring back to us. I am not trying to give you a spiritual facelift. I want to give you a heart transplant. I want to change you from the inside out. I want to take this watered down 2019 American version of Christianity, shoot it down the drain, and introduce you to the ancient of days Dallas Willard in his book The Great Omission he talks about something called the great disparity and he says in this book Jesus he says we have a great chasm between the founder of our faith and the people that bear his name Can you see the truth in that statement? He said we have a chasm between the founder of our faith, who is Jesus, and the people that bear his name. And God is raising up this ecclesia to try to bridge the gap so that when you hear the name Jesus, you automatically think of the people in the Bible that look like him. Is it possible right now that on planet Earth, it is possible to be a Christian, which by de definition and default means Christ-like. Is it possible to be termed Christian, but yet you practice a Christianity that's nothing like Christ at all? And we even get upset when somebody says, brother, that's not what Christ would be doing in this situation. And we may very well be the first generation that has a Jesus-less Christianity. The faith, the faith, the faith. We've minimized spiritual growth that mean things like this morality, attendance, outreach, a little bit of generosity. And I want to submit to you this morning in this series entitled Christianity Light that maybe morality is the beginning place of transformation, but it's by no means the end all. Being like Jesus is the end all. Yes. He that has an ear to hear, hear what I'm fixing to tell you. Last year, I took my family to Disney World. I'm not going to say it was a waste of money because I got a few memories out of it, but my kids could care less if they went to Disney World. What they did enjoy was staying at the hotel and swimming every day for 37 hours a day. 
I could have took them to the La Quinta for $89.99 a night and saved $2,000 and they would have been just fine. My wife grew up in Florida along with her sisters and she was accustomed to Disney World. I wasn't. So the night before we actually went to Disney World, I did some looking on the internet so I wouldn't be as dumb as I knew I actually was. And I didn't know that Disney World was divided up into four major theme parks. I didn't know that. I found out, well, we should take our kids to the one called Watch What God Does. We should take our kids to the place called Magical Kingdom because that's where all the Disney characters would be whom they recognize because they watch Disney. By the way, I didn't know what one Disney channel was till I had kids. Anybody can feel that in the house this morning. I'm in line and my heart begins to get strangely warm and my wife kept saying, are you okay? And I was okay, but God was messing with me. I'm standing in line. I paid extra money to get close parking. I still felt like I parked three miles away. I felt like, honestly, I'm gonna just say this, Bishop's gonna get upset with me. I felt like I was between, let me, let me make it nicer. I felt like I was under Satan's armpit because it was hot hot <laughs> special park in my foot my feet were hurting by the time I got to the gate and we're there it's hot I look at my wife those $50 paintbrushes and that expensive makeup didn't work because she's like melting standing beside me we've been there 20 minutes and my kids are like can we go home to the hotel where we could have stayed at the La Quinta but no we had to come to Disney World because all the magazines made it look nice and they weren't sweating on the pictures. Watch, I'm in line at Disney World and we're waiting, got a long way to go, a little bit of time. I'm in line and the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, do you know why people are coming to the magical kingdom? And I said, no, Papa, I don't. He said, well, you look around. And I looked around, I saw Asians. I saw Australians, I saw Africans, I saw Latino, I saw every, every ethnos you could see in there. I saw people that I knew were rich and wealthy based off what they had on. I saw people that my mom would have said, that person doesn't have a pot to go to the bathroom in poor. The top to the bottom. And God said, look son, he said, look, 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 I'm looking. He said, do you know why every ethnos, do you know why every person, regardless of their economic status, has found a way to get here? I said, no. He said, because they believe the kingdom's actually magical. Now, you might say, you, you were hearing things, just track along with me. Let me give you the de the, some synonyms. The, the definition of magical is this, beautiful or delightful in such a way as to seem removed from everyday life. Beautiful or delightful in such a way as to seem removed from everyday life. Some synonyms to magical, extraordinary, remarkable, exceptional, outstanding, incredible, phenomenal, inconceivable, unimaginable, wonderful, sensational, breathtaking, miraculous, singular, uncommon, unheard of, unique, unparalleled, mind-boggling, awesome, stellar. He said they believe the kingdom are these things and so they found a way to get here. Well, my heart is just messed up. And then he says this. He said, notice, because the kingdom's magical and it calls people, he said they didn't let the cost keep them out of it. Yes, the food was overpriced. 
Yes, that bottle of water, once it crosses the Disney threshold, they're going to put four bucks on the end of it. The price didn't keep them from there. The lines didn't keep them from there. Watch this. The elements, the hot sun did not keep people from coming there. The distance did not deter them. And he said, because the kingdom's magical. And I said, God, I'm, 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 I'm kind of tracking with you, but I, I probably need a little bit of help. And then he said this to me, and I believe this is where we're going here. He said, here, here, he said, here, son, listen, listen, listen. He said, once you cross the threshold into the magical kingdom, he said, what was fantasy before becomes reality there. Gosh almighty. Once you cross the threshold into the magical kingdom, what was fantasy before becomes reality there. Because before I went into Disney, I couldn't find walking princesses walking around and talking dragons and flying boats and spacemen in spacesuits walking around. Because in everyday life, things that are realities in the kingdom are not realities outside of it. Listen, listen, listen. And what is going to happen when we live in the kingdom of God to such a degree that what people used to call fantasy becomes a reality? What is going to happen when people who can actually lay hands on the sick used to be a fantasy, but it becomes a reality again? What is going to happen when economic transformation actually begins to hit communities? That used to be fantasy, but we believe it's actually a reality. What is going to happen when the minor prophet said nations shall be born again in a single day? Is that fantasy or is that reality? What is going to happen when the lame leap like a deer? Is that fantasy or is that reality? What is going to happen when the church of the living God actually falls in love with our head who is the groom and these signs wonders and miracles begin to follow them that believe is that fantasy or is that reality is that some made up version of faith or is that what our DNA is founded upon Jesus took 12 men said come and follow me and prior to that day if he would have told them the way that they were going to do life they would have said that is a fantasy But he invited them through faith and, and, and genuine pursuit to embark on a journey. And from Jesus' day to the time of Jude writing this letter was maybe 40 to 50 years, give or take. Jude was the brother of Jesus. Did you know that? He was a physical sibling, a half-brother of Jesus, same mom, different dad. And according to John chapter 7, verse 5, it said prior to the cross, even Jesus' siblings didn't believe in him. They did not believe in him, though they grew up with him. Jude starts out as a non-believer, but listen, if you see a dead man rise from the dead, you'll be a believer. I like it in his small little letter that he wrote us. He didn't say Jude, brother of Jesus Christ. Most theologians say that he said this because of the way he treated Jesus prior to the cross. He didn't know if it was okay to say I'm his brother, but he did say, I'll say I'm James's brother, who was Jesus's brother as well. And so he begins to pin this letter. And he said to those who are called beloved in God, the father and kept for Jesus, peace, mercy, and love is multiplied to you. 
He said, I want to write to you about the awesomeness of our salvation. But he gets this check in his heart and he says, I can't do that. And from Holy Spirit, he says this, but I find it more needful to tell you to fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In other words, it only took 40 to 50 years after the ascension of Jesus for the faith to slightly get off track. And it's taken a man who grew up in the same house, who at one time used to not be a believer, who now is a believer. No doubt he thought to himself, if I can become a believer because I got off track, I never even really followed Jesus. I mean, imagine how hard it would have been to follow Jesus living with him. You're complaining about making straight A's on your report card and Jesus is going, Dad, I've never sinned. You're complaining, you know, you're, you're bragging, Dad, I hit a home run and Jesus is going, Psh. one day I'm walking on water. What are you? <laughs> Dad, I didn't cuss today when I stubbed my toe. And the perfection of character is sleeping in the bed next to you. Sure, they didn't like Jesus. You're talking in your, in your college days about all the great things you've done, and your parents are sitting there clapping, saying, that's my boy. And then they say, now, what's special about this guy named Jesus? Oh, when he was born, man, a whole star came. And I'm telling you, people were falling a star through the air. That's Jesus. I mean, sure, they didn't like Jesus, but he became a believer. And it was this Jew that says, I found it necessary to tell you, you better fight for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Why was Jesus special? Because he was a wild man. He, he did wild things that nobody else did. He was baptized by John in the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit after baptism back into the wilderness. He was so wild, he would take his thumb and wipe blindness out of blind people's eyes. He was so wild, he could spit on the ground and, and through his saliva, he would make mud and in a wild way, he would say, now go wash and you'll come back seeing. He was so wild, he would speak a word to lepers and leprosy hearing his voice would literally vacate the premises of people's bodies. He was so wild, he caused the roughest and toughest sinners of his day. Some of them climbed trees just to get a picture of his majesty. Others would literally push their way through the crowds trying to grab the bottom of his tallit because he was such a wild man. He was so wild, it didn't bother him to meet up with prostitutes in the middle of the day in that Judean sun because he knew what was on him could not be defiled, but what was on him would set them free. He was a wild man. And this Jesus, this Jesus, Jude said, he gave us a faith before he left this planet and we've gotten off course, but I'm telling you, you better fight to get things back right. Everybody say, rewild me. Rewild me. <laughs> the process, to reverse the process of domestication. See, I'm a guy, I like things like Chick-fil-A, not Popeye's. Anyway, I'm going to keep on going right there. I'll bless you with that revelation. I like movies with bombs going off. I like outdoors. You know, there was a time kids actually played outdoors. Just Google it. It, it, it happened. Kids actually played outdoors. I like the beauty, the beauty of creation. I like things like fishing. Thank you, Matt Bennett. Bless your heart, brother, if you're in the building. I like things like animals. I love nature. I take my kids to the zoo so I can go. You feel me? 
I was recently, recently watching something on Netflix. I, I, love, I watch a lot of documentaries about animals because you can get revelation watching stuff about animals. <laughs> Mighty God, you can. And paintbrushes for faces. It's funny. <laughs> I was watching one about lions, and I found something out. Boy, lions are something to be messed with. I love watching these documentaries, especially when they have an Aussie talking. And picture yourself in the safari with me right now. He goes, oh, just look over there, mate. You see a wild antelope. Look, there he is. Look at him. Look at him. And the antelope is doing this. He hears something. If you'll look just beyond the antelope, just on the other side of that bush there, you'll see a pride of lions. Yeah, and, see, and see, you can see the lions as they're doing their thing, and several of them are going to the other side of the antelope. And you got one who's in his stalking position, his predatory stance. And he's like, look at him there, there he comes. He's getting closer, and he's just so low to the ground. And that antelope... Don't know, he's literally about to eat himself to death. <laughs> Just eating, eating away, because God is good. <laughs> he wasn't eating Popeyes, I know that much. So Just keep on going right there. And then when he gets maybe within a few yards away, that line just busts and just, he comes up. And then I love it. Thank you, Ultra HD. And then everything goes into slow motion. And this lion is about as muscular as Pastor David running in slow motion. And you can see every single muscle pulsating as he just poof. Pastor David. Ah. Yeah. That lion, that lion is just running, man. Come on back. Y'all got to come on back. Help me, Pastor Jay. You got to come on back. Yeah, come on back. Come on back. Dude. Hey, don't lose the faith. Rewild. That lion is running, and every muscle is pulsating. And you can see the intensity in his eyes as he's watching this antelope. And that antelope looks up from eating Chick-fil-A, and he starts running, and he can outrun that lion. He's thinking, I got this lion beat, and he's doing, you know, his Chick-fil-A pounce and dance. But what he doesn't understand is, is on the other side of him is five to seven to ten female lions that are waiting to put him on a plate with some Chick-fil-A sauce and sop him up. I love nature. Love it. I love the zoo, right? So as a boy, I went to the first time I went to the circus. I loved the smell of food. It was awesome. I loved watching the crazy games. I mean, I got to see the bearded lady. That's not attractive, by the way. It was amazing. I like to see the real tall people. But I'm a boy, and I wanted to see the lion tamer. That was like their main attraction. At the end, they got a guy. He's about my size. He has a, a chair in one hand and a whip in the other hand, and he's keeping this 350, 400-pound cat at bay. And I'm thinking, I don't watch the animal planet. You can't do that in reality. Not from what I've seen on TV. That is not a reality right there. And so we hung out afterwards and we got to ask him some questions and he told us this whole thing about how he did this. This is what he says. He said this. He said, what you guys don't know, he said, this lion was never a wild lion. He said, we raised him from a cub. That's what the crowd doesn't know. 
And he said, also, you guys can't tell it from the crowd. He said, but we declawed him. Which, by the way, you never want to do that because they say declawing a, a, a lion or a tiger is the equivalent of cutting off our fingers at the knuckles. He said, what you guys also don't know is this lion has never killed anything. He's only been hand-fed. And he said, what you guys also don't know is he's never even seen another lion. He's been isolated and confined. So he has the look of a lion. He looks intimidating. He doesn't know that even the Bible calls him the king of beasts. He's been separated from his own nature, as it were, that God gave him because a man domesticated him. And I want to ask the question in regards to our faith. Can you see Jude said, man, we used to be these wild people on the planet, not wild meaning that we were disorderly, but there was something about our faith that was so organic. It was so passionate. I mean, it was so, it, it, it was, it was so much of a flame that, that people were getting born again. People's lives were literally getting transformed. Even the witches and sorcerers of their day were just getting rid of their garbage and coming to the faith. And Jude said, we've gotten off track. We need to be rewilded again. Let me ask you a question. Are we like the lions in the circus? Do we have the look but not the substance? Do we have the appearance of the lion but lost the nature of the lion? Hear it. Do we have the appearance of the lion, but have we lost the nature of the lion? Do we have the appearance of being Christians, but not the nature of being Christians? Do we use the name of Jesus, yet refuse to walk in the nature of Jesus? We need to be rewilded again. How can you reverse the process of domestication? Do you know it's possible to take one of those lions and get them back to a place where you can release them? It's extremely rare, but yet possible. Here's how they do this. They will take a lion and they say, unless he learns how to eat, he'll die if we let him go. So they'll let him go hungry for a couple of days, put him in a big cage, and they'll introduce like a rabbit in there with him. And for hours, sometimes days, he just kind of paws with a rabbit because he's never eaten anything. He's never killed anything on his own. If he doesn't take care of that rabbit in a couple of days, they'll put some blood on him and then they'll release him back in there again. And eventually, watch this, eventually that lion will begin to be rewilded because hunger will get the best of him. Ugh. Hunger will get blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. The lion ends up tapping into his original wild self through the avenue of hunger. Hunger is the evidence that the rewilding has begun. That's why we need to be very aware when there is a corporate hunger settling over this house like it has been in the recent months. Are you aware that we're not just singing good songs, but the hunger of our hearts toward the invisible God whose name is Yahweh? It so evokes his presence. He comes and he begins to rest down in a building. And we say, man, the glory of God is here. We say, we, we say things like, man, we're graduating. We're actually going from glory to glory. And God says, that's just the pre-K of what I want to do. I start the process by hunger. He says, then we go on from hunger 
Once he learns how to eat a rabbit, they'll put a slightly bigger prey and he'll kill that and they'll put a slightly bigger prey and he'll kill that. And they say he's tapped into his original DNA now. He's learning how to kill for himself and the rewilding process has begun. From there, they say now we got to introduce him to someone who looks like him. Oh, we got to let him see what somebody who knows who they are that looks like him really is like. And through a glass wall, they'll introduce him to another lion. And do you know what that lion will do? The lion who doesn't know who he is, he'll start fighting through the glass wall, trying to get the season lion. But the season lion's like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm like you. What are you doing? After several days, maybe several weeks, he's no longer fighting at the line. And then for the first time, they move that glass wall. And then watch this. So authentic hunger, and then through authentic association. He smells another line for the first time. And he was like, you smell beastly. You smell wild. By the way, you never want your, you never want your spouse to say that. But anyway. You, you, you got claws. You have this mane. You look like me. I thought I was the only one of my kind, but there's something about you. And once he's learned how to kill on his own, and once he's learned how to associate with others like him, the rewilding process is taken to a deeper level. See, we can't do this on our own. We need community. We need kononinia. We need authentic relationships to challenge us, to build us up. We need each other. So hunger and authentic relationships, and then they do this. They say, now we got to put a chip in him, and they take him back to his native land, and they let him go. And I'm telling you, the first time his feet hits the ground, it's like, I've never been here before. How many of you guys ever been to a zoo? You see lions in the zoo? There's a majesty in a lion's eye in the wild that you do not see in a lion's eye in the zoo. Do you know why? The first time I went on a safari in Uganda, I was blown away. I was so, I'm so American. You know, we Americans think lions live over there, zebras live over there, the zebra, uh, giraffes live in that corner, you know, hippos over, they all live together. See, animals aren't racist. It's only, it's only the peak of God's creation that finds how to do that. And they hang out with each other until it's dinner time. Peace out. I'm going to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> do you know why that lion in the zoo doesn't have majesty in his eye? Watch this. Because he is in a manufactured environment. And I'm telling you, God is trying to get our services and our lifestyles not to be manufactured, but to be God-factored. Uh, Y'all missed it. He's trying to get us to live a lifestyle where we have been so rewilded in the original, biblical, Jesus-like faith. He wants our lives to, to be at such a place that he has to say amen to the things that we do. I want to say this in closing, some areas that I believe that God wants to rewild us in. One is the place of presence. Team, you can come back to the stage. God wants to once again let us know that we need to be presence-centered people. You know, in the Old Covenant, literally, the tabernacle of Moses 
was literally, if you can picture that, just being in the center. And on each tribe, on the north, the south, the east, and the west, on each side of that tabernacle, they had three tribes, three, six, nine, twelve. Literally, the presence of God was in the middle of millions of people. They literally encamped around the presence of God. Today, we encamp around pastors. We encamp around leadership. We encamp around personalities. We encamp around church. But they encamped around presence. Jesus was a very presence-centered man. I'm learning that as I handle presence, it graduates me into handling it on a different level. As I handle the, the presence of my wife in my liking stage, it graduated me into a dating stage. As I faithfully handled her presence there, it graduated me into the thinking about engagement stage. As I handled presence well there, and trust me, I fumble a lot. And every man in the room can say amen to that. And if you can't, your wife can say amen to that. As I handled her faithfully in the engagement stage, it gave me access into the covenant stage. Handling presence faithfully to one degree is what gives you access to the next. The second area I believe that God wants to rewild us in is the area of prayer and worship, which for me go hand in hand. And I'm talking about not just as a church together in our body. We will always do these things for God here. It's not what we don't do at church usually that breaks us. It's what we don't do at home. We usually don't struggle with adultery in the service. It's outside of these doors. Anyway, we just keep on going right there. In the area of prayer and worship, I believe God's going to let us have some fathers, some men in this room who once again take the hand of their spouse and their kids. And maybe after eating your meal, you'll push away from the table and you'll pull out your own Bible. And you'll let your kids know what Joshua 24, 15 says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you actually kneel down with your family, maybe by your bed, and you say, son, this is how we pray in this house. This is how we go to God. When you pray, we call him Abba. I call him Papa. And see, my son at, at six and a half years old, he may not understand everything that I do, but they're getting seeds in there. And I'm okay with sowing seeds now because I know the forest is coming. I'm okay with putting a seed here and a seed there because I know the forest is coming. And every time he sees his mom or dad cry, every time my daughter sees me laying on the ground, and sometimes she's like, Daddy, you going to get up? It's okay. One day she'll understand that my dad and my mom were praying men and they were praying women. One day she'll understand it was my tears shed over your life that watered your destiny. It was my tears shed over your life that gave sight and gave vision and gave pulse to who you were supposed to be. Let us be a people once again who pray not just in the church. Do you understand that Yahshua said, my father's house, my father's house. What is a house? The place you live, abide, dwell in my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. In other words, if you want to visit me, you don't go to the grocery store to visit me. You don't go to the fire department to visit me. If you want to visit me, you come to my house. And he said, my father lives in a house of prayer and you can come as often as you want. But strangely enough, the most least attended meeting in any church is still the prayer meeting. And I wish I had half of a band right now because I'm telling you. 
God wants to rewild our faith. Jude said, we've gotten off course here. But God is sending us back to his presence. He wants us to know he's still here. But are we in pursuit of him again? Do we cater toward presence or people? Do we do songs that we hope people like because more people will come to our service? Is the goal to get people here or is it to get him here? I'll never forget that Yahweh told me. He said, you did a lot of services in your lifetime, Joshua, where people got blessed, but I didn't. He said, but you've never done one service where I got blessed and they didn't. You understand that a priest in the Bible was nothing more than a glorified butcher? Everything they did was not, it was very inconvenient. How they transported the tabernacle, all the measurements, all this stuff, all these utensils, it was not to get people there, it was to get him there. And all the prayer, all the offering of sacrifices, all the worship was for God. So he wants to rewild us in a place of presence. I believe he wants to rewild us in a place of prayer and worship. And last but not least, I believe he wants to rewild us again in the area of the word of God. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Job said, I esteem your word more highly than my necessary food. Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Are you eating at home? I don't know about y'all, but I still need him. I'm asking God to rewild me. To let my life in 2019 mirror the faith of those in this book. Paul didn't do what he did so we could have good sermons and songs. Jude went on to be crucified and pierced through with darts. But at the end of his short letter, he said, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him be glory, honor, dominion and authority forever through the ages. Amen. To the one that can rewild your faith when it gets off track. To him be glory, dominion, and honor forever. Amen. Gate Church, if you're in this room this morning and you feel like maybe Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart, maybe your own faith has gotten off track a little bit. It doesn't mirror the book you read about or the lives of those that are in it. And you feel like, man, I believe I'm supposed to be mirroring forth this lifestyle on another level. And it's not by your own power that you do. This is not by your own mind. Man, it's through a place of rest, surrender, and faith that God does this through our lives. If anything, I've said it all today. Bears witness with your heart. On the count of three, I want you to stand up. And out of a posture of humility, I believe God, by Holy Spirit, is going to brood over this room for the next few moments and the rewilding process will begin. One, two, three. God, I thank you for summoning us. I summon the wild ones to return now. I summon you from the banks of religion and comfort now. I summon you now from the place of domestication and tameness. I summon you now. Can you hear the Father's call? Calling the wild you? I call the wild you. I'm speaking to fathers that have become domesticated. I summon the wild you. I summon a man of faith. Show a man of patience. I summon you. I'm summoning wives of beauty and majesty. I'm summoning you. 
wives who will be like the Sarahs of old, who know that their faith is not merely about the outward adorning of the body and their hair, but it's about the meekness of a beautiful and quiet spirit. I'm summoning you. I'm summoning young adults right now to get in the game of their faith. I'm summoning you. Can you hear Jesus' call saying you were born for more? Can you hear Jesus calling saying, I'm finding you in your places of misappropriated identity. He's finding us in our places of performance, even church performance. He's summoning us back into the wild. I summon you that have been buried beneath layers of hurt and layers of disappointment. You've been hidden beneath bondage, but I summon you back into the wild. I'm summoning those that are bound by layers of insecurity. Whether it was church, yourself, bosses, family, spouses, disappointments, you've been buried with insecurity. I summon you. I summon you. I summon you from Sunday morning only Christianity. I summon you back to the wild. I summon you back to the fact that you've been blood bought, that you've been purchased. I summon you. Oh! Come on, if you believe that, why don't you take a few moments in your own voice, in your own words, and release a righteous roar. I want the heavens to know that the wild ones have returned. your roar back today some mothers gonna get your roar back some fathers gonna get your roar back every hand in the building just extended toward heaven father I thank you that you're always faithful to speak to our hearts Lord, if it was possible to get off track in 40 or 50 years after Jesus, I know it's possible. 2,000 years later, Lord, as the gate church, we say we recognize we can't do this on our own. We're not smart enough. We're not strategic enough. We're not gifted enough. We don't have enough money. We don't have a building big enough. And I pray we never have those things if it makes us to be independent from you. We want to be dependent on you. I pray that we would be the wild ones in our faith, shining your love, your compassion, your kindness, your mercy, even your grace all across this city every day of our lives. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking to hearts today. I want to do this before we end today. Maybe you're in this room and you say, you know what, Josh, man, I don't know if I have a personal relationship with Jesus, but my heart's been stirred today and I feel a strange pool in my heart. 
I would love to introduce you to my best friend. He's caring. He's kind. He always tells the truth in love. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll celebrate you when you need it. He'll even bring correction, correction through love when you need it. He's the ever-present help in the time of trouble. He's the promise of all the ages. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In your darkest days, he'll be your day star from on high. In case you didn't know it, he would love to know you. His name is Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with him and you want a life-giving relationship with the living Jesus right now, would you just extend your hand toward heaven? And that'll happen on the count of three. One, two, three. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. I see hands going up all across here. I see those hands. Bless you. See your hands. Bless you, friends. See your hand. Bless you. See your hand. See your hand. See your hand. See your hand. Come on, let's celebrate. See your hand. We hope that you have enjoyed being with us and joining with us online today. It has been an amazing day here at the Gates Church. My name is Jordan, and I want to say thank you for joining us today. I want to welcome those of you that joined us. And I want you to know that we are believing that God has touched your life right where you are today. Pastor Josh delivered an amazing word to this house today. And our prayer is that as you go into your week, that you will seek the Lord out of the hunger of your heart. And that your prayer will be, Lord, rewild my faith. And I believe that as we do our part, God will do what He has always done. And that He will prove His faithfulness to His people, that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, and that His goodness is overwhelming. That's our hope and our prayer for you today. Thank you for joining us. It's been wonderful hosting you here at the Gate Church.